Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel one by one. We will be spoiler-free of future episodes, but consider yourself warned that we've got spoilers for previous episodes throughout our discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm Jason, and look, I'm the boss here. I say when we use the cell phones, and people are going to die, and I have to go. <laughs> and I'm Harrison. You're welcome. <laughs> Jason, what episode are we watching today? Harrison, we are watching Angel Season 1, Episode 20, War Zone. This is the one where the most important thing that happens is that we meet a Mr. Charles Gunn. Welcome to the Buffyverse, J. August Richards. What? War Zone was written by Gary Campbell and was directed by David Strayton. Just another David to add to our roster of Davids. I, uh, I like David, though. It's a <laughs> feels good in the mouth. <laughs> this episode originally aired on May 9th, 2000. Intro music. Jason. That was weird. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> um, what what are we drinking today? We are drinking Manhattans, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and, I, I, and we also have uh, some cherries in these Manhattans, so one could say we have a maid in our Manhattans. I don't get it. Cherries virginity ah uh, okay i get it you know the joke sounded better in my head <laughs> well i was like I've i never think it's seen... a smart joke maybe not a funny joke <laughs> i i i've never seen the movie so i was like maybe the main character's name is cherry i and i just don't know that because i've never seen it no it's J- <laughs> jennifer lopez <laughs> jenny from the block um, I did something special with these, but I'm gonna wait until we taste them to see if you if you can tell what I did. It's it's a good like surprise. Don't worry, it's not turpentine. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> shall you lead us in a toast, Jason? Uh sure. I'm a little worried. Uh, um here are here's to uh all of the amazing athletes who have won medals in the Olympics who have qualified for the Olympics and for Miss Simone Biles who doesn't fucking need the Olympics to prove that she's great. Yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh, that was very satisfying. I like that. <sighs> Seem a tad sweeter than mm-hmm. uh, typical uh Typical Manhattans that I've had, which I've only had like maybe four or five in my life. <laughs> so I added some uh, Aztec chocolate bitters. Ah. Yeah. That's a... Okay. Uh, I can detect very, very yeah. intent of it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like overpowering, just a, cup, just a couple like, splashes. I would have noticed like a, a different flavor, but I would not have thought it was chocolate mm-hmm. until you told me. Yeah, it's um, it's how John's uncle... Uh, John's oh, uncle... but it's got a good aftertaste, though. Mm-hmm. There you go. It's nice. Nice! Uh, John's uncle, that's how he makes them, and um, that's... Uh, yeah, they're, and John's mom brought us some of the some of this, the bitters recently that they use, um, and they're nice. And yeah, it's like, it's not overpowered. It's not like you're, we're drinking it, chocolate, but yeah, it has that nice just kind of hint hint of a tease of chocolate um all right well thank um, you for sharing that with yes, me yes you're welcome um would you like to share with me excellent transition i'm doing regale me tell me what happened in this week's episode uh well we have got a girl named alana mm-hmm. who is uh walking down the street and of course you walk down the street in la you get pursued by vampires mm-hmm. uh fortunately we uh, see a a car that looks like it should be following like fucking Immortan Joe into the into the, <laughs> into the desert. 
That's a Mad Max Fury Road reference for those of you all who just haven't seen it in a while. Oh, so good. Um, it is. I My 4K copy of it just came in today. Oh my god. I bet that's going to look amazing. Yeah, next, um, next Friday uh, I'm having a couple people over and we're watching The Martian and Mad Max Fury Road. Nice. I'm nice, nice, nice. soups excited. Yeah, I'm horny so for that. Much, so much that I'm making a type of soup, a.k.a. chili. Do you catch chili as a soup? I was just thinking that actually. I think I'd I'd lean more. I, I'm saying I'm I'm leaning towards no. I think like if I was gonna categorize it as something, I'd categorize it as a stew. Okay. But I also just kind of think chili is its own thing. See, the weird thing is, thing. is like I don't. I actually think that uh, so, I think stews are just a type of soup. Okay, that's fair. I've never like yes, there's obviously certain things that stews have but that isn't apparent in other soups but i kind of like group it under that which might explain why chili is in the soup in the soup category as well so i just found an article what's the difference between soup stew and chili um there is none (laughs) the the main difference between soup and stews is the amount of liquid they contain which okay that makes sense Soups contain enough cooking liquid to fill a bowl and allow its ingredients to float. Stews contain just a bit of cooking of cooking liquid to simmer the other ingredients. And then is chili different from soup and stew? Kind of. <laughs> chili is considered a type of stew because of its low liquid content and is usually made with chilies or chili powders. So I, there is a technical difference be- between the two soup and stews, but but they're in the same family. They're cousins. <laughs> Kissing cousins. I was th- about to say that. <laughs> oh fuck. We've been hanging around. We've been hanging around each other way too frequently. It's like we. It's like as soon as we were vaccinated, we, we've like hit it hard. Right back on that same wavelength. Oh my goodness. Anyway, kissing cousins are kitchen cousins. Cu- ah. Kissing kiss kitchen cousins. <laughs> My favorite episode of Booze and Buffy is the one where they talked about soup a lot. <laughs> My least favorite episode of Booze and Buffy is the one where they talk about soup a lot. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, out of this car we see Alana's brother, Gun. Now, I don't know, do they call him Charles or Charlie at all in this episode? I, or is I, it just Gun? I think Alana calls him Charles. Okay. Because it would be weird if his she was is, calling him Gun. Yes, his name is Charles Gun. Um, he and the rest of the Warriors step out. <laughs> <laughs> just referencing all the movies today. Um, of course, uh, while we were watching it and like they first showed that car, I was just like, Warriors, come out and play! And Harrison... Uh, I couldn't remember what it was a reference you could, to. You couldn't remember what, yeah. Despite the fact that it says warriors. <laughs> right in the quote. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be, like, slamming you. My bad. Um, this is a fast work in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> is this the episode where I'm gonna cry? I didn't think we'd get there till season five of Buffy. <laughs> Surely you've cried a little bit. I don't think while recording an episode. Oh, okay. We've, um, we've given ourselves goosebumps, though. <laughs> we have. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Gun and the rest of, uh, and the rest of his, like, outfitted, uh, posse are, uh, fighting the vampires, and, uh, some vampires get killed. One, uh, gets shot with a stake cannon, which... Yeah, nice. Badass. But, unfortunately, uh, also some of the humans also get killed, uh, big one being Bobby. It was Bobby, right? I think so. That's the one that Alana's freaking out about. Um, is he yes, the, Bobby? Was he the one who was he the one that got his neck snapped, or was he the one who was using the uh, the, he, the he state used cannon? The cannon. Okay. He used the cannon. Yeah. Because there's also one who I guess is just an, un- an un- unnamed member of the crew who, like, you can see one of the vampires like mm-hmm. snap his neck. Um, so they're you know they're successful ish. There's a great fake out where they, before we see Gunn's face, we see his shoes his shoes and his long coat. And, you know, the show has primed us to Assume. expect its angel. Yeah. And, you know, the pan up and it's this guy we've never seen before. And he says, like, 
to the vampires, but you know, wink, wink. <laughs> Were you mm. expecting someone else? Uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, we have the credits. And then we have a very, uh, very posh party as um, David Nabbit has invited uh, many big names to his party, but three of those big names are in fact Cordelia Chase, Wesley Wyndham Price, and Angel. When we list them, we should, we sh- the three, we need to start with Angel and end with Wesley. So you start with a one name, two name. And a three ah, name. you're right. Dude, That's the old one, two, three. The old one, two, three. Or reverse, you know, the three, two, one, if we, yeah. if we chose. <laughs> but uh, David Nabbitt is a um, is a billionaire. He has Eat the sacks, rich! He has sacks of cash, <laughs> and uh, which Cordelia can smell. <laughs> His line, when Angel says, I, sometimes I hide some money around the office and watch her go, it's uncanny. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, Angel from Buffy making that joke? No, never. <laughs> never. Uh, I-, I can barely imagine more Angel like Cord- from the beginning of this season making that joke. More like Cordelia Chase after the dough. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, uh, but, yeah, that was actually really funny. Um, and he has hired Angel Investigations. Uh, to help him with a blackmail problem. And uh, to explain this blackmail problem, he starts off, it gives Angel, like, possibly one of the best lines in the episode. And he says, like, are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons? And Angel says, I've seen a few. (laughs) And Wesley quickly jumps in and is like, the uh, role-playing game. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, he goes on a long story of, like, oh, yeah, you know, our... You know, me and my other nerdy friends are totally interested in uh, having sex with demons. Because, you know, that can happen it's in d It's a D&D. valid lifestyle choice. That can happen in D&D. Yeah, like, how many... Uh, we know a certain slayer who decided to have sex with a demon once. Apparently, when uh, David visited um, Madame Dorian's, a demon brothel... That Wesley knows all about... Because, because the, the Watchers. Council. Yeah, okay, <laughs> Wesley. <laughs> and uh, apparently in one of his 12 visits, David was actually photographed by a guy named Lenny Edwards. And uh, Angel decides to track him down. And uh, he will... Basically gives him the... Gives him the good old Angel intimidation technique. Yeah. And uh, says, yeah, you're either going to, uh... actually, it's pretty good. He says, uh, the guy, uh, Lenny's like, what do you want? He's like, oh, you know, you know, house, kids, place to call my own. Uh, but I'm not going to get that. And you know what we have in common? If you don't do what I want you to do, neither will you. Yep. Hot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I love at the party... We learn that, like, Cordelia's manipulated the, like, this guy called them to hire them, and she was like, oh, we can only meet at night, and, uh, oh, and, you know, if you don't want to be, like, you want to be more inconspicuous, like, we'll come during your party, because, like, no one will notice, and, uh, and Wesley and Angel the whole time are just like, are you for real, Cordelia? And then at the end, she's like, well, we can't leave right away. That'll look suspicious. So <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll just go ahead and find some suspects for the next couple hours. <laughs> Delightful. Uh, yeah, Cordelia very much was after the money in this episode. Like, super after the money. Um, and hey, you know what? David has a lot of it. Yep. Yeah. He's... Uh, you know, it's it's funny how we talk a lot about the morality of billionaires and how it's kind of impossible to be a moral billionaire. But in television, you always get like this characters, like this guy who's a billionaire, but he's also kind of like a little dweeb. Lonely nerd. Lonely nerd. 
And I chalk that up to the fact that most writers are bad at math and cannot conceptualize what a billion is, um, myself included. <laughs> um, so anytime you get these sort of characters, I always just kind of autocorrect in my brain, like, multi-millionaire. This is a lot more palatable. <laughs> Palatable? Palatable? Whichever one's know, correct. You're the writer. Wow. Okay. Call me out. Just. I just did. All right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I wish you all to say that. Harrison attempted to do like a dramatic crack of his knuckles and nothing happened. Nothing. Let's try it this way. Okay, that was that was better. It actually looks better too. Yeah. Alright. And now we've now this you're, this you're, you're podcast has of, become a fight club. Your look of disappointment when nothing happens. <laughs> Story of my life, man. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, but while uh, Angel is shaking down um, Lenny, the, uh, this is also when Gunn notices from the background. Now, previously, Gunn and uh, his sister, along with everybody else in the gang, were basically trying to keep Bobby alive, and Bobby dies. Uh-huh. Sorry, Bobby. R.I.P. Bobby. Uh, we literally barely knew ye. <laughs> And uh, basically, it kind of becomes clear that they've been hunting a, uh, a nest of vampires. And uh, this little shit for brains. What's his name? Did he get a name? Ty? Um, or James. It was probably James. I think James. Yeah, or, c- kind of the problem with Gunn's crew is they, outside of Gunn and Alana, yes, it is James. Okay. They just, they all, even this guy who, like, has the most personality out of them, all kind of blend together. But yeah, this pissant little twerp um, says, like, oh, we weren't followed at all. And uh, But they said, like, oh, hey, we've got a vampire out there. And, like, well, nice, nice going, dumbass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you dumbass. Um, but uh, so Gunn is watching angels shake this guy down and assuming that this means that angel is uh and the, and he also hears angel say that oh yeah move it like either you pay me either you give me what i want or i'm gonna be like moving in and following you around and stuff which yep. they thought is like oh he's making a play for our territory no this is why diction is very important <laughs> diction and syntax um, you know what I really like about this episode is the, just the, the world expansion. Yes. Like seeing, you know, obviously we know about, there's the Slayer and there's the Watchers and we've seen kind of hints at like other players in the world. Like we had Sid the dummy who was a demon hunter back in season one. Um, but seeing this, this whole new kind of like this crew of kids i mean uh, essentially angel mentions that some of them are like n- no older than 16 and they've been doing it for a while um it- it's nice to see that the world expand a little in this kind of understanding that probably all over the world like you've got groups like this um and you know, maybe if the Watchers Council didn't suck so much, they'd be out there helping these and funding them. But well, and I think you mentioned it fairly recently. But Angel is more of a street level sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. Buffy is considered um, in the in in the hierarchy of it all, like the the slaying royalty, the yeah. demon slaying royalty, because she's the Slayer, um, and so she gets like all of the huge threats. Like yeah. she gets. Um, she gets like Angelus destroying the world. She gets the master yeah. of the vampire. She gets um, Adam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, more apocalyptic level yes. threats. Yeah, and this is a, again like um, I like the fact that while you could technically classify both Buffy and Angel as urban fantasy, mm-hmm. Angel fits that so much yeah. more. Oh yeah. Um. And the scale's very different, yeah. too. You know, Buffy's saving the world, 
an angel is saving souls. Yep. Um, and He's you know, doing it on like a case by case basis. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and both, uh, both excellent missions to have. Yep. So when Angel does in fact meet up with uh, Lenny, oh excuse me, we almost forgot the uh, the scene where. Uh, David pays Cordelia and Wesley for the expenses. <laughs> yes. Which is apparently a lot. Yeah. And uh, this is when David kind of reveals how lonely he is and that, oh yeah, you know, I pay people to, like, be there for me all the time, but you guys are actually, like, you know, cool about it. You hung with me. Yeah. And uh, it, it comes across a little awkward, a little sad. Yeah. It's, the implication, yeah, is that he throws these massive parties just so people will spend time with him and even though they come to the parties they don't because when they when we meet him he's just sitting by himself and so also like everybody's kind of wearing their best and mm-hmm. he's like and i don't know maybe this is his best but uh buy a suit man <laughs> you can afford it yeah uh but yeah he um he's like just kind of wearing like a button-down shirt and some jeans yeah i it, it is it is a good we, even though this character doesn't do a whole lot in this episode, I think they've done a really good job of giving us a really clear picture of, like, who he is. Yeah. Um, and what his life is like. Um, and I I like David. I think he, I mean, he's an yeah, endearing yeah. little dweeb. He is. Um, <laughs> there's a little bit of cringe associated with him, but, oh. I mean, um, also, off topic, sort of, but uh, have you ever had a tailored suit? Uh, I have not, I mean, I've like rented suits before, yeah, that, yeah. like for like, you know, our yeah, wedding right. and, but, um, John has one, okay. um, that he got recently for, um, it was for Mason's wedding All right. and they did like, um, they did like a custom pattern. So he, like they had, we had to, we had to actually buy the wow. suit okay. instead of just renting it. Um, but it was fine because John has been wanting to buy a tailored, a tailored suit. suit for himself anyway. And it was funny because they, they didn't wear the jackets in the wedding party. Only Mason wore a jacket. Um, but they could buy the jacket like if they wanted. And um, John didn't initially. But then when he, um, when he like saw the jackets on some of the other groomsmen like during the weekend... Uh, he was like, oh, those look really nice. And, like, when we got back into town, he, like, called Men's Warehouse and was like, I'm going to buy the jacket. Um, so it's a it's a really nice suit. Oh, yeah. No, like, I I remember uh, I've seen a couple of those articles that are like, oh, here's, like, um, things that every man should own. And it basically kind of boils down to, like, you know, kind of being, like, grown up and responsible. <laughs> and um, so, like, well, you should have, like, at least two tailored suits. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but uh, but at the same time, uh, I would love to have, like, a tailored suit. Mm-hmm. Because um, I actually really do like dressing up. It, it, I don't do it that often. I mean, like, 9.9 times out of 10 when you see me on the street, I'll have, like, I'll have, like a t-shirt and jeans on. But it's really fun to, I think it's really fun to, like, get fancy and everything. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, wear, like, a suit for weddings or um, other occasions that require fancy dress. I mean, the suit that John got was, you know, altogether, I think we spent somewhere around $300, which it's is not, not that bad. It's, yeah, I mean, that's not an insignificant amount of money, and I can totally see how that would be prohibitive for some people. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was, we were, we were fortunate to get a good price on it. And I imagine if you're not going for like a super, super customized pattern, it's probably less expensive mm-hmm. than that even. Yeah. Um, so not, um, I say, I say go for it. All right. Well, maybe, maybe in like a month or two. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> I can treat myself for my birthday, even though I've already put a couple things into place for my birthday. So. <laughs> My favorite episode of Moose and Buffy was when they talked about tailored suits. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I know Trevor Lockley was a fan of our podcast. 
Yeah, it's really weird. Well, here's the thing. Trevor Trevor Lop- Lockley has like a um he has a humiliation fetish. So he actually really loves it when we talk shit about him. <laughs> what I'm hearing is let's talk more shit about Trevor Lockley even though he's dead. <laughs> or I'm Trevor Lockley, spit on me. <laughs> okay, anyway, <laughs> this is getting out of hand. <laughs> All right, we are focused and um yeah, so Angel does in fact uh, meet up with um, meet up with Lenny, and uh, Lenny does have the photos, but he also has a demon security guard, and uh, he it's a pretty good fight between yeah. him and Angel. I mean, uh, Angel is able to beat him, but he also takes a lot of hits, mm-hmm. and uh, and he eventually has to just like pick up the photos and run away. Yeah, he's oh, he does kill the demon. Yeah. Um, it's because uh, it's when Gun shows up is where he runs, but he's like winded. Right. And it is so funny though when the second he kills the demon, Lenny books it oh, out of yeah. there. <laughs> that was your muscle, and your muscle's gone. <laughs> that was a that was a funny funny background event. Uh, yeah, by Lenny. Then, but then the uh, Demon Slayer warriors do show up. And uh, yeah, they get they actually get Angel a couple times. Their thankfully their aim isn't as good as when they were fighting the vampires mm-hmm. from before. But uh, it's a new guy on the cannon. That's true. He doesn't he's, have. He's this, no Bobby. He's no Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> he's still training. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he uh, Angel's in rough shape, and he gets in rougher shape as he continues to like. At first, he uh, tries to get away from the from like the demon hunters in their like hell truck and uh eventually makes his way into this house that is also booby trapped specifically for vampires but i mean our boy he mm-hmm. he won't he won't take this stuff lying down um and uh eventually does get to the point where um after beating up several of these punk kids uh angel uh they're not punks well james is but the other one's trying to survive yeah uh, but uh, Angel eventually gets a hold of Alana, and hey, Alana is the sister of Gun, and uh, Gun has his crossbow up. Always the crossbow. Always the crossbow. Always the crossbow. I'll allow it. I'll, I'll, I, I will allow it for our non-superpowered heroes. I don't think it's the most practical, but I, I can see the value. What I will not allow is for Buffy to pick up that fucking thing. Anyway. Are you telling Buffy what she can and can't do? You know what? Fucking man. In this instance, yes, I am. (laughs) You know what I did love that they had? Um, And I don't think we really saw them much, but Alana at the beginning of the episode had like like a a stake, but it was like two yards long. Yeah, she had like a pole. Yeah, so using it kind of like like as a bow. Pole arm or something. Yeah, using it kind of like a bow staff and and then just a stake. I was like, that is so smart. Like, um, like, a multi-purpose weapon that you can yep. use in these fights. Uh, and I think Buffy should get one of those. So uh, Angel tries to convince uh, the kids, and Gunn in particular, that he's trying to, that they're on the same side. You know, we're both fighting evil. And uh, of course they're like, we don't fucking believe you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, and, uh, well, fortunately for Angel, unfortunately for Alana, um, she trips a small uh arrow shooter um not sure like what's it called she tripped a booby trap Uh and she tripped the trap the trap she tripped and on the tripping trap she tripped booby trap (laughs) (laughs) boobies uh but uh a a, an arrow a small arrow is coming directly at alana but angel catches it with his hand and i don't mean he catches it in his hand i guess technically it is but he literally uses his hand as a shield so the arrow goes through it which he unfortunately which he of course has to say ow yeah. <laughs> and then he pulls it out and there's a it the pulling of it out pulling it out is off screen but there's a beautiful little like squelching noise <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know like stepping into a fresh mud puddle yeah. oh yuck <laughs> i mean accurate but yuck <laughs> how is that yuck i don't know it's dirty I mean, yeah, but so is an arrow in your hand. Yeah, but that doesn't bother me. I mean, it would bother me to have an arrow in my hand, but it doesn't bother me to see it on television because I'm fucked up. 
Gunn ends up letting Angel go away, and they have a lot to think about. Yeah, and Angel makes we... a great point uh, when he's yelling at them, because as, as impressive as their setup is, which is pretty good, they yeah. Angel does remark that they're like they're not amateurs. They're not amateurs, but the arrow is made of metal, and he's like, "Who's this gonna kill?" Exactly. They're more likely. Their 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 setup is impressive, and they're doing a good job, but they're also you know kids and you know they're more likely to set like if what like alana sets the trap off and is nearly <laughs> killed by it instead of the intended target yeah um so yeah we wouldn't want alana to die now would we? i would not want alana to die but uh so then we have harrison's favorite uh scene <gasps> in the show oh <laughs> everyone should know by now that i love a sexy wound patching up scene and oh, they deliver. We've got uh, tits out, Angel. Uh, he's got some gauze around his tight, tight abs, and Cordy's putting a putting a putting a bandage over his his gaping chest hole wound, um, and he's also got one on his hand wound. And I'm just, uh, I mean, this, this checks a lot of boxes for Harrison. Grab a pillow to. Uh-huh. Uh, shake out that wrist um gay agenda i uh, thank you thank you to uh david Strayton for uh making my dreams come true uh and uh speaking of uh, agendas um the uh angel and wesley decide to take a look at the pictures of David Nevitt and uh oh wow we like completely glanced over when he actually went into the demon <gasps> brothel we did we forgot my favorite character Madame Dorian yeah I adore this woman I've we uh, we are adding her to our spinoff with Sister Badass and Nurse Gretel um they are a polyamorous uh lesbian couple you know fighting evil across the world and you know nurse gretel provides medical assistance when they get injured she does the sexy wound patching scenes um sister badass she's like she's she's the fighter she's she's got she knows kung fu and uh uh madame dorian her brothel brings in a lot of money so she finances the whole operation and they just kick ass together um it's all coming together that's that's my pitch okay <laughs> your move cw <laughs> so um I, I was looking at this actress rebecca klingler and uh she was in an episode of parks and rec she looks very familiar from something i don't know if it's parks and rec what um, was her name again rebecca klingler in parks and rec she was Jan- janicia wellmark so that has to be someone from Eagleton. <laughs> um, let's see. I, I'm on Flu Season 2 is the episode. Um, oh, that's the episode where they go to the... Um, most of the cast goes to the, the wine tasting thing. Oh, for snake juice? Um, no, not for snake juice. Oh. It's when um, uh, Craig, or no, uh, Tom is trying to get his uh, find a sommelier for his restaurant, and they okay. go they go to the wine tasting thing, and April decides to do it and make fun of everyone, and Craig gets really into it, and I, I'd be willing to bet she's like one of the snooty wine tasting people Fair in enough. that episode. Yeah. Um, that's also the one with uh, Bo Burnham because oh yeah. Um, simultaneously, Andy and Leslie are trying to find get musical acts for the Unity concert, and Leslie finds out she's pregnant in that episode because she oh, thinks wow. it's the flu. Wow! That's, that's a <laughs> so I bet she's I, I bet she's one of the uh, yeah one of the wine tasting people. Um, she was in Titanic. Um, she played mother at Stern. Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen Titanic in a while, so I couldn't like. Me, but she just looked really familiar. Neither. I guess maybe she's been in like the background of several things. Yeah, I, How I Met Your Mother's on here. Weeds, like all like 
just guest starring appearances, but yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Angel really isn't in the best of shape, um, but he, uh, but he's still trying to find, uh, he's still trying to find the, um, like, he wants to find the nest of vampires, and he wants, uh, Wesley and Cordelia to find the, uh, find where the kids are living. Mm -hmm. Um, meanwhile, we see this nest of vampires, and these are all forgettable. Yeah. All of them. Uh, all we know, all we can tell from this scene is that they are, in fact, uh, they've been kind of at odds with Gunn's group for Mm -hmm. a while. And they're like, oh, we just need to strike at the heart. And then he, like, stakes a vampire that he pretended to care about or yeah. whatever. They've got kind of a punk aesthetic, and that's kind of yeah. fun. But these vampires do not matter. They don't. They are a plot device through and through. And that it, being said, um, I the coolest thing about them is, in fact, what they do is when cool. they get to... That when they get to wear a gun and the others are hiding. I'd be more bothered about their plot divisiveness if they had more screen time, but they don't. They don't. They so I'm just like fine. They're plot devices. I don't. I don't care um, because the the arc here is is guns, and the more time we spend with gun is what matters. Yep. And uh, so what the vampires end up doing is they uh, shoot smoke bombs into. Uh, guns like hideout this causes all the humans to run out and then the vampires actually are wearing like heavy clothes and gas masks mm-hmm. but so they are able to abduct alana and uh it says they capture several of the teen gang members but alana was the only one that really kind of stood out oh i didn't see them capture anyone I, else no i think I, I just saw alana yeah because that was the point is they they targeted alana yeah, specifically they want, yeah you want to go after the heart mm-hmm um the uh the gang does in fact like regroup and that's when angel shows up and he's like listen i can help you um you guys you guys need help i can help you find them and uh gun's like yeah i don't want to work with you and he like brings some daylight in which makes angel like fall back into a meat locker where they lock him up yep and so now Gunn decides to uh, go after it. I don't know if he's like going after her alone, but uh, he's definitely not thinking things through logically mm-hmm. because even if the whole gang goes after him, he does split off from them. But he does find Alana. Yep. And you can already tell from the fact that she isn't uh, tied up or anything that she has in fact become a yeah the episode very wisely doesn't try to hide it from us and lets gun pretty much figure it out immediately because i would have been so annoyed if gun like fell for it yeah he yeah i i it's heartbreaking to see like the the moment he realizes yeah oh god it's like you're not dead and his face just kind of because yeah he has the moment when he sees her of like oh thank god just that that knee-jerk reaction and then that immediately transitions into fuck yeah like and it's j august richards plays it yes really beautifully um we have a scene where cordelia and wesley are uh looking for the humans hideout and uh they're and i don't know it's very strange that uh this episode... I guess Cordelia's just in a really good mood because of the money. <laughs> that... But she's the only one. Like, apparently Angel even likes to look at the checks that uh, that David writes out for them. I like that. Uh, but yeah, she's in kind of a good mood and she's like picturing everything that she wants to picture. Whereas Wesley's just like, yeah, you know, that that's a homeless guy. It's not a buff lifeguard or whatever. Yeah. A lot of these scenes with uh, like obviously this is setting up that they're how they find angel which yeah. fine but uh, it felt long and i i got the distinct impression that this scene between the two of them and then a scene later between the two of them felt like maybe the episode came in a little short yeah. and those got thrown in but i don't mind because 
I like seeing the camaraderie between Wesley and Cordelia. Yeah, so, it's a great partnership. Um, so I'll allow it. But, uh, but yeah, and then we have this very kind of tragic scene of Gun. Um, uh, a lot is basically just explained to Gun that like, hey, you know, we've been doing the right thing. We're just on the wrong side. All this anger and stuff that we have pent up, and a lot had previously said in the episode that Gun wasn't necessarily doing this for altruistic values he was doing it because he liked it mm-hmm. and because he's angry and uh and alana says the like hey you can take all this anger and frustration out on this and you have like zero guilt or anything like that yeah and um so he kind of like just looks helpless and alana says like say goodbye to everything you love and she's like about to turn him into a vampire and that's when gun says goodbye and uh-huh. stakes her so that was a good scene. It's a really good scene. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's incredible how they've we've managed to create so much empathy for this character who's brand new, um, never met before, and who's immediately antagonistic towards Angel, which you know normally would, you know, we'd be siding with Angel, and I think part of what's smart about how they do this is they let angel empathize with him and like angel is never like we're enemies he's Mm -hmm. like you know we're on the same side i know that's difficult for you to comprehend because of like your life experiences um it's it's a good introduction for this character is what i'll say it is and uh and angel is there after he um after gun kills uh alana yeah and uh, all the rest of the uh, all the rest of the kids show up, and uh, the and like that little pissant James uh, is ready to kill Angel, and uh, we like you said we've seen Gun be confrontational towards Angel for the entire episode. He even uh, calls him out as being like a uh, middle aged white guy, yeah, uh, who's dead, yeah, <laughs> but still middle aged white guy. Um, and, uh, that was, uh, that was an interesting, uh, thing to take. Yeah. Uh, because it's kind of the, it's kind of the one line that focuses on, uh, the character's blackness. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, like, if you look at kind of everything else in this episode that they do, I mean, it could easily be a white guy. Yeah. Um, but that line specifically focuses on that and it says a lot about Mm -hmm. hey i mean you could not be a demon he still wouldn't trust you yeah there's a lot of playing up you know i don't think it's a coincidence that the same episode where we meet gun is the same episode where we meet david The, the rich billionaire yeah there's a lot of playing with these levels of privilege and um you know we learn that um uh you know they they have to steal food just to survive um you know they the the vampires are not their only uh things that they have to worry about they're afraid of the police you know they they might starve if they can't get food um and even like our our heroes who are not rich by any means they have a level of privilege 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 that these kids don't have and um uh just just the the fact that they're able to uh you know ingratiate themselves into the lives of this rich man to help themselves these kids could never have done that right um even though they're kind of all doing the same thing um and that's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there and the episode doesn't dive into it um, Which honestly might be for the better because I don't think these are the people that you want diving into uh, it. Yes, this is. Uh, yes, <laughs> like yeah, we are. We we are sitting here talking about white privilege when I mean, hey, we have very much benefited from mm-hmm. white privilege, but hey, we're acknowledging it, and yeah. that's what you all should do, white people, including us, acknowledge your privilege mm-hmm. and use um, it for the betterment of the world. Exactly. Use it to help out. Use it to help out all those people who don't have that privilege. Yeah. 
But don't be white savory about it. Yeah, you know, just just help out your friends. Stop being an asshole, everyone. <laughs> Actually, seriously, please, all, yeah. everyone, stop being an asshole. It's exhausting. <laughs> it really is. I like I said that as a joke, and then I was like. <sighs> That's... I mean, I used to be a real piece of shit. But... <laughs> <laughs> you see those sloppy steaks and everything. But oh, uh, anyway, oh, we should talk real quick about about Angel's uh, escape from the meat locker. Yes, because he he's trying real hard. He busts through part of the wall, and but he still can't quite get out. And just Cordelia opens the door. Um and. <laughs> Wesley's like, why didn't you call us on your cell phone? And he's like, uh, well, uh. And then Wesley's like, you forgot you had it, didn't you? Uh, a <laughs> joke doesn't really work that often. <laughs> yeah. A joke that was pretty plentiful in the in this era of television that you would never see on uh, anything but a period piece today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we have to go out of our ways to come up with reasons why people can't call the other characters on their cell phones. It, it's really funny uh, watching... Um, I, I immediately thought of Ocean's Eleven. Mm -hmm. uh, you've seen that one, right? Yes. It's been a minute. All right. Uh, well, Brad Pitt is able to uh, get a hold of Terry Benedict because George Clooney slipped the cell phone into... Julia Roberts's coat pocket. I forget the guy who plays Terry Benedict, but I remember all the other actors. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the phone starts ringing, and Terry Benedict looks at a uh, Tess. Tess is Julia Roberts' uh, character's name in that, and uh, he's like, "Aren't you going to answer that?" And she's like, "I don't have a cell phone." <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine like a rich woman not having a cell phone? I cannot. <laughs> and if if she did, like if you. Like, today, if you had a rich woman who didn't have a cell phone, it'd be, like, a statement. Yeah. She's like, I don't own a cell phone because I, I want to connect. Uh, and... <laughs> she she would not have a cell phone, yet still be an influencer. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but, yes, Angel is standing there, and um, James is trying to tell... James, that stupid flamethrower, is trying to tell everybody, like, oh, hey, let's, let's take out... Let's take out this guy. And uh, that's when the gang leader and the and his vampire nest show up, and uh, angels, and they're about to like go at uh, Gun and the kids, but then Angel like kind of lays down the law, saying, "Hey, if you guys come after that, if you guys, I'll let you all leave right now. Um, if you like never come to L.A. again, uh, leave this town alone, leave these kids alone." And the gang leader's like, who do you think you are, man? And Angel kills him. Yeah. He's like, I wasn't talking to you, actually. Yeah, well, he knew that that guy was yeah. going to go down. Like, and he's such a prick. And he specifically drops, I'm Angelus, as he's killing them. Yeah. Which was a nice... Because uh, it's, you know, it's a just tactically a smart move. Angel knows that he can... They can't... They can probably win this fight... But they're going to lose some of these kids if they do. And that's not a sacrifice mm -hmm. he's willing to make. Yeah. Um... So dropping the I'm Angelus bomb is enough to scare these, and and killing their leader is enough to scare these vampires off. Lots of people have heard Angelus, uh -huh. but yeah, it works. Yeah. Um, they're gone. <laughs> and uh, and we never saw them again. <laughs> and uh, at the, so um, now we have uh, Cordelia and Wesley. We have a, a very seldomly, a very seldom occurring daylight scene. <laughs> yeah. And, uh. Wesley has bought a coffee, but has gotten a cup of whipped cream with some coffee in it. <laughs> yeah. Whipped cream that he then like shimmies off of his cup onto the onto the grass. Very funny. Um, and Cordelia is talking about getting involved with David just so that she could, you know, get his money. Yep. She's basically talking about being a gold digger. Yep. Um, she's well. She starts it by going. I think I'm going to prostitute myself. <laughs> and Wesley's like, excuse me, what? Um, and if she tries to talk herself into it, she's like, he's nice and he needs companionship and looks aren't all that matters. And <laughs> So some of this is, some of what Cordy's been up to has been funny, but I don't know. I feel this like is very cringy. Yeah, it's cringy and it gets old real quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, it, 
it's fun if you have like the little money joke like Cordelia oh Cordelia likes money peppered throughout the peppered throughout the episode like I was I found it really funny when Angel hides money in the office (laughs) to see Cordelia sniff it out that's funny um but it just got really old because they didn't really do any she didn't really do anything besides bandage up Angel yeah and even then she was talking about the check yeah um yeah it's it's uncomfortable and it feels like kind of sex work shamey uh and and you know we're using the term prostitute because that's what cordelia specifically was saying but of course sex worker is a uh is a much kinder thing to say everyone um yeah it's and it's also it's just not a very funny joke (laughs) like yeah like charisma is selling it like we know that cordelia has layers yeah we've seen them and this just feels almost like disingenuous to the character like really you're gonna make her do this yeah i mean thank god she talks herself out of it i would have been real pissed if she was like nope i'm gonna do it like yeah this is very much kind of reminiscent of cordelia at the beginning of season one of angel mm-hmm. as opposed to where she is now yes i agree and um and cordelia out of like so many of the other characters in the show probably throughout this series minor spoilers makes a lot of big character character development so this kind of felt like a bit of a step unnecessary step back fortunately it's not something that like yeah this this is about as forgettable as the vampires yeah and luckily we don't end here we have a we end on a much well you kind of you have to end it with angel and gun yeah and uh yeah angel is um Angel and Gunn are basically just talking about, like, uh, oh, why we do what we do. And Gunn's like, yeah, I'm not going to stop doing it. He's like, it's okay. Um, he's like, I'm not going to stop either. And uh, and uh, he says that... Um, and, I'll, and to piggyback off of what you said earlier, uh, he doesn't offer his help to Gunn anymore. He says that I may need your help. Yeah, he says, I'll be around. And he's, yeah, and he's... I, yeah, he's treating him like an equal, mm-hmm. and not not some kid he needs to tutor. Right. Not, um, yeah. Um, he he's not trying to be a father figure or anything. He, yeah, he just sees like a fellow warrior, mm-hmm. and who knows? Maybe one day an employee. Who could oh. say? Who could say? Uh, because he's lost. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a. Uh, Oh, one of the demons at the brothel is from Odin Tal. Uh, oh. from the episode She. I didn't need to be reminded of She, but that's some fun continuity. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I uh, really loved all the the demon designs at the brothel. That was fun. Um, including the um, the boner joke that we had to rewind when the demon he's talking to, Lena is her name, <laughs> Uh, she's using her tail to, um, do some dirtiness and Angel like grabs it and it is sticking straight up until he like shows her the picture of the guy she's look he's looking for. And she like, not only does she just like visibly kind of deflate, (laughs) so does the tail. And I was like, wow, that was a very dirty joke to get away with on network (laughs) television. Um, yeah, and, uh, here's, like, a behind-the-scenes note about the creation of Gun. Uh, show's creator wanted to introduce another character, so you were actually wondering if, when he was introduced, if, uh, if, like, uh, they intended for him to be on for as long as, uh, for the rest of the show, as Gun may or may not be. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh... Gary Campbell pitched the idea of street kids battling vampires, and the character of Gun was conceived. Nice. So it looks like they may have had more long, than, yeah, yeah, long term plans. I, I, I like that, and I, you know, it's we've talked about it uh, more than once about both shows' uh, struggles uh, with uh, characters of color, uh, black characters in particular. And so it's it's really nice to have this black character introduced 
given a lot of just immediately just um, a, a nuanced character right off the bat. And um, particularly considering this is the same week that Forrest was killed yeah. over on Buffy. Um, so uh, that is not to say that like, oh, this but, solves all the problems. It, but but, uh, and, yeah. and with respect to that, Forrest was more of like a, um, a not so... Like, he obviously wasn't an ally of Buffy's. Yeah. So now we've got, like, a good character that we can bring into the fold who's, like, with the team. Yeah. And uh, not not saying that... Um, I feel like that's commenting on that Force life didn't matter. But uh, it, it just... It, in terms of, like, importance of the show... Yeah. As a character... going to be a lot more important. As a character... Forrest didn't matter ultimately Mm -hmm. and that's how the writing treated him yeah um and that's how it treated Mr. Trick and how it treated Kendra yeah um and so it's good to see that we're making better choices in that regard here yeah um but uh you know as once again we're not absolving the show of its issues there but we're just saying this is a space a place where they did good. Mm-hmm. Um, R.A.P. Alana. Um, <laughs> um, so that's that's it for Warzone. Mm-hmm. Um, this may seem like a shorter episode because it, yeah, I'm looking at her timer. I'm like, wow, damn, we're uh, this is going to be an easy edit for me. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, that kind of like leads into my scoring of this. I'm going to give this a two point five out of five. Uh, big old checks uh, because. That 2.5 goes almost entirely to the introduction of Gunn and um, his chemistry with uh, with Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else from the forgettable vampires, the forgettable kids, um, and uh, like the cringiness of David. It's it's again it's forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, this. This episode, like you said, it seemed like some things were added there. Oh, and the cringiness of Cordelia's money jokes. Yeah. It, I, I think that the only really important and good thing to come out of this is the introduction of Gunn, and it is done pretty well. Like, Giavis Richards slays in every scene <laughs> that he's in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that 2.5. Yeah. Nice middle of the road episode. I'm, uh, I'm going to rate it slightly higher. I'm going to give it... Three, uh, three stake cannons out of five. Um, but I, I agree with your assessment. It feels slight. Um, like maybe a couple, maybe a couple another edits of the script to spice things up a bit would could have sufficed. Um, but I, but I also don't hate it. Like I don't. I, I, there's nothing that I'm really like. Even the things that I think are like not as great they're not like expecting level bad you know um it's it's but yeah the, there is a certain amount of forgettableness i i sometimes whenever i revisit this episode i'm like i do have a bit of a oh yeah gun had a sister <laughs> um which that's not great but uh but i mean you can't put that on you because that was uh <laughs> Like the the writers made her like so inconsequential in the end. Yeah. Even though it was a very good scene in which Gun and her interacted when she, she was a vampire. She very much exists to be stuffed in the fridge, um, which we have discussed uh, the trope of stuffed in the fridge. If you're not familiar, go back and listen to our passion episode. Um, so you know, st- a couple steps forward and steps back for the writer in that regard. But um, it's always it's always so weird whenever I hear that that phrase because like before I ever heard the phrase, I read the comic book in oh, which yeah. that happens. Uh, it's Green Lantern, right? Yes, um, it was right after uh, Hal Jordan went insane, and um, like one Green Lantern ring was he killed most of the Green Lantern Corps. One Green Lantern ring was left went to a guy on Earth named Kyle Rayner. And uh, Kyle Rayner is the Green Lantern, like, and he's like a new Green Lantern when his girlfriend gets killed and stuffed into the fridge by Mongol, I believe. Hmm. But yeah, it's like, and then I would hear people like say like, oh yeah, girl got stuffed into the fridge. And I'm like, 
Wait, wait, wait. Have you, have you, <laughs> do you know that comic? <laughs> the, nope, they just like to be on TV tropes. Uh, or yeah. maybe they do know the comic and I, also like yeah, to be TV tropes. It, it struck me so much that uh, that had actually become the terminology for that mm-hmm. trope. Yeah, I, I, I love TV tropes. Um, and... Yeah, that's and I, I I really love the um getting into the history of why tropes are named certain things. Um for instance, the trope uh that is now titled Badass Decay, where a badass character becomes less badass. Do you know what its original name was? Badass character becomes less badass. Mm-hmm. Is that Worf? No. Okay. It's it's original. Um, there is one called the Wharf Effect. Um, I'll 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 define that one is in that, a second. Is that about hair? No. Okay. So, badass decay was originally named spikeification. Okay. Specifically referring to Spike's arc in season four of Buffy. Fair enough. Um, that makes sense. The Wharf Effect is something similar, but it's where a um, basically it's where. A the a super badass character is like easily beaten by like the villain of the episode. To show off how strong the villain is. Yes. Yep. Oh, poor Worf. He does get thrown around so. <laughs> yep. So often. <laughs> um. So yeah, TV tropes is fun. I like being on TV tropes. It's it's interesting to read them. The reason that I mentioned the hair was because uh, like a lot of people give Worf crap for his hair throughout most of the. Mm-hmm most of the next generation but then like in season seven is when he starts pulling it back in the ponytail and uh that um and then that kind of becomes his look for the rest of his time in star trek on both tng and deep space nine everybody's like Worf looks so so much better yeah in in this than uh than he did before it's because that wig was awful that wig wasn't good (laughs) yeah uh but yeah and who knows? Maybe that was a uh, maybe that might have been an inspiration for George R. R. Martin when he was making the Dothraki. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Probably not though. I mean, George R. R. Martin has gone on record saying that a lot of his inspiration for uh, a Song of Ice and Fire came from the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, and that's pretty obvious reading uh-huh. it. Um, there the is House of, um, the House of Lancaster. There is one trope. Star Star Trek trope that is related to hair, and it's the growing the beard right, trope. Right, yeah, yeah, that's for Wrecker's beard. That is probably apart from jumping the shark. That is probably the TV trope that I know mm-hmm. the most. Yeah. Um. So yeah, check out TV tropes if you've never been on there. It's a fun website. Like it's, uh, I, I enjoy it. Anyway, um. So yeah, that's my ultimately. It's a it's an okay episode. Um, and I'm excited to welcome Gunn onto the show and and openly gay actor J. August Richards. It's it's very interesting that uh, it seems like things are heating up on Buffy because they need to heat up. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this seems to be a very kind of low-key episode mm-hmm. for Angel. Uh, but then again, Angel hasn't necessarily had a season-long arc. Yeah. This is... It's more like this season has been building the world mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh introducing wolfram and hart as kind of like the main antagonist but very subtly very slowly and also i mean wolfram and hart's not going anywhere yeah this season has been largely um every episode has been largely standalone mm-hmm. uh, for the most part not exclusively obviously but um but yes, very much building this world, um, building this team, and um, and yeah, kind of threading in Wolfram and Hart here and there as a threat. And it is interesting because Angel overall is the more arc-heavy show of the two, um, like long-term arcs yeah. spanning multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um it's weird revisiting this first season and yeah. it's finding it so much of it standalone. And we talked about that in Eternity when that was kind of the episode where they realized that uh, the standalone, like, case of the week nature wasn't what the show needed to be. And they're 
slowly kind of adapting away from that. Yep. Um, so, yeah. I'm excited for what's to come. Me too. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We'll be back next week with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 21, Primeval. I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamij357 and on Twitter at yamij. And I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That is spelled C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Uh, and, you know, Harrison and Alexander are spelled the normal ways. Uh, I also run a blog where I write about a different horror film each week. Uh, this week I'm continuing my uh, Friday the 13th monthathon. Uh, thank you for the lovely uh, musical score. Um, this week is Friday the 13th, part 7, The New Blood, a.k.a. Jason versus Carrie. Uh, oh. Not not actually Carrie, but the protagonist is a teenage girl with telekinetic powers. Um, so, uh, yeah. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy, or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out in all of those instances. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we like to give a shout-out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. This week, we're highlighting Stand for Children's Leadership Center. Stand for Children's Leadership Center is a 501c3 nonprofit leadership development and training organization. They train ordinary people to become effective citizen leaders capable of solving problems facing children, both locally and statewide, by convincing elected officials and voters to invest in and reform vital children's programs. Their highly trained staff provides parents and others concerned about children's issues with tools to achieve long-lasting improvements for children by joining together in a unified grassroots voice. Visit www.standleadershipcenter.org for more information. And as always, go slay. And be gay. Bye. Bye.